you know, we didn't know what to think at this point. We had already put in our minds, we're going to be here for minimum 30 years. So we were trying to learn to, to love our life and figure out how to live with happiness. Just as what President Uchtdorf says, us as members, we have to learn to make ourselves happy in any situation we go through. And uh, it took me a while to learn the wisdom behind that comment. Because it's 100% true, Richie. It is 100% true. It doesn't matter what situation we're going through, we can make ourselves happy. We have the full gospel in our lives. We have people that love us. We have people that support us. And we have Jesus Christ who, as we know, is always there for us. And when we're able to get over our own pride and able to get on our knees, ask the Lord for help and say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. That's when that burden is going to be left and that's what eventually that's what eventually happened to me. Welcome to another episode of The Cultural Hall. If this is your first time finding The Cultural Hall, we are a show available in podcast form where we talk about any and all things around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are not affiliated with them. I mean, I'm a member, so there's that affiliation, but the deal is uh, they do not uh, endorse the things that we say. We are a pro Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints show available in podcast form. So uh, you can rest assured that I attend when church attendance is possible and that uh, I, that I believe in the, the faith and the doctrines of said church. Uh, we do talk about some of the more difficult things within the church. So look forward to those within the episodes as well. As I was thinking about what we could do as we celebrate our nation's independence, I thought, what could be a story of one's own independence? And I decided that we would visit with Josh Holt. Now, you're going to find out all about who Josh Holt is, but I just want to give you a quick little programming note. Josh will be not only this episode, but we'll also pick it up with him in the next episode. That's right. It's a two-parter. We very rarely do these two-part episodes, but his story about how he was held in a prison in Venezuela could not be done quickly. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode and, quite frankly, the next episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall celebrating Independence Day, and I racked my brain as to what we could possibly do the day before Independence Day. So I thought, you know, let, let's, let's just do story time. And so I thought, you know, who, who could possibly tell a great story about independence, about what it's like to, to not feel independence and then to be liberated and to, to come into his own? And, and I thought, okay, well, there's a few, uh, there's a few different storylines I could tell. And then I thought, well, you know, what's more American than, you know, getting the president of the United States involved and senators and congressmen and women? And, and I thought, okay, and enough. Let's get Josh Holt onto the show. Welcome, Josh. Hey, thank you, Richie. Thing. Glad to be here. Now, if uh, if people are completely uh, unfamiliar with your story, uh, the next hour's worth of time will, in fact, blow their mind. Um, <laughs> I, I would just barely, uh, at the start of this, I want to get into pre-oh my gosh, this crazy story and give me an idea a little bit about you, where you're from, uh, sort of what led up to what we'll talk about for the remaining 58 minutes of this time. Okay. Well, my name's uh, Josh Holt. I was born in Pocatello, Idaho. 
moved to Salt Lake City when I was five or six. Uh, then after that, I grew up in Riverton for pretty much my entire life. Went and served a mission in Everett, Washington, which is just north of Seattle. Loved it. Beautiful. Got rained on the entire time. Loved it. <laughs> um, learned the Spanish language. I was served to speak Spanish. Um, my wife to the day will say I didn't learn to speak Spanish there, but I, I attempted to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> I, babe, babe um, I tried real hard. I tried real yeah. hard. That was the effort. Yeah, that's right. Uh, came home. The, the important thing was she, she taught me. Yeah, she taught me. She so taught me. Really <laughs> teach me. She, she taught me. She taught me good. Uh, and then coming home from the mission, what did you decide you wanted to do with your life? What was the what was the goal? The thrust? The the thought that would be the rest of your life? Um, I really wanted to become a pilot hmm. or a police officer. Okay. Those are the two. Um, pilot, after you know what I went through and being gone from my family for so long, I was like, you know, I don't want that type of career. I don't want to be away from my family anymore. Right. Uh, but I still have a strong desire to be a police officer, even after all this craziness of what's going on in the world right now going on. I just have this huge desire, but it's just hard with uh, my family situation right now and trying to get into academy without making money, basically. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we pick up some of the the pieces of the last few years. So, Josh, if you would, uh, this crazy, completely unbelievable story uh, that uh, people just get ready to pick the jaw up off the ground. Where does it all begin? Uh, it began in Venezuela when I was woken up with an AK-47 pointed in my face. Oh, OK. All right. You just went, you just <laughs> jumped the shark, Josh Holt. Let's let's go back a little bit before that. Uh, I know guy from Pocatello by way of Bluffdale who served in Everett, Washington, just doesn't end up in Venezuela. So maybe let's start there. <laughs> well, as soon as I got home from my mission, um, and any of you that have ever served missions know that as soon as you get home from your mission, you have tons of Facebook requests. <laughs> and so you just start going through and you're just like, sure, sure, sure. I don't know these people. Or I don't remember them. I'm two years is a long time. And they were, a lot of them were, were Latinos. And so I figured they were all for my mission. So I accepted uh, my now wife's Tammy. I accepted her request and she wrote me a message. She says, hi. And I said, hello. She said, how are you? And I said, fine. And she said, well, that's all the English I know. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> so then I told her, I was like, hey, we could, in Spanish, I said, I know Spanish. We can talk in Spanish if you'd like. And she's, she was shocked. She's like, what? Apparently she had found my Mormon.org profile, which we make as missionaries. Uh -huh. And she decided, hey, this guy's pretty cute. You know, he's pretty handsome. Let's go find him on Facebook. So she searched me up on Facebook, found me, added me, and then we just started talking. And uh, honestly, it was just something that I was doing to better my Spanish. I didn't want to be one of those guys that served his mission, came home, and then lost the language. Sure. Um, my buddy, he thought different. He's like, hey, dude, you can't marry her. And I said, dude. She lives in Venezuela. I'm not going to marry someone in Venezuela, you know? Uh -huh. And his dad came by and said, yeah, he's going to marry her. And, <laughs> you know, sure enough, five months later, we're married <laughs> in Venezuela. Wow. Now that, is, now that is a quick thing. I have to give props uh, to your wife, Tammy, who just, I mean, that, that is, that is like uh, respectfully, uh, respectively aggressive, right? Like I know what I want. <laughs> Mormon.org isn't typically used as like a Tinder or a, a dating site, but listen, if you know what you want, 
you reach out and you get yeah. it. Why not? So uh, I well, think she kind of has a, a background story to that. Okay. Um, I'd say the fast version is um, she was in a very abusive relationship. Mm. Um, she's, she's been LDS for her entire life. Uh, but the gentleman that she married wasn't LDS. Okay. And uh, with hopes that he'd become LDS. Um, and basically he ended up dying. Um, and she prayed to God and just said, God, I need you to, you know, correct my life, get me back on the right path. I need you to send me a man that is an honorable man, a man of the church, a man of the gospel, someone that can help me and my, and my children. Cause she had two, two daughters at that time. Uh-huh. And, uh, sure enough, six months later, she found me and we started writing. And so to her, it was a, it was a big answer to her prayers that she was able to find someone that um, had the same values and morals as she did. Wow. I mean, what an incredible story. And and my hope is, uh, truthfully, that if we can figure it out, you and I have had sort of discussions. I've got a friend who speaks Spanish. My hope is down the road, uh, or even maybe right after this episode, that individual will be able to speak with your wife, Tammy, and get her perspective on that. That's a fingers crossed. That's a hope in the air <laughs> kind of conversation. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, so certainly, though, still some hesitation, right? I mean, it's a woman in Venezuela. You're, Obviously, you're, yeah. you're not shy enough to or naive enough to think that catfishing wouldn't be a thing or, you know, <laughs> something like that. So what may wait, what makes you finally go, uh, OK, and especially only after five months? You know, what's funny is I didn't even know about the show Catfish <laughs> until after all this happened. I thought, man, if I would have watched if I would have seen this episode or these series, I probably wouldn't have gone through with it. Yeah. yeah. But we ended up uh, meeting at uh, Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. And that's where there's a temple. And so she brought a friend with her. I was bringing a friend that ended up not going with me. But we met up uh, in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. And we stayed in the temple grounds, went to the temple, went to the beach. Um, us three just kind of hung out the entire time. And, and the purpose of this vacation and this gathering was to make sure that, hey, I want to know that she is who she says she is. Right. And she wants to make sure that, you know, I am who I say I am. Mm-hmm. And we knew after three days that 100% this was it. <laughs> and so I proposed to her and uh, <laughs> she never told me yes. She was just shocked. She actually <laughs> told me to get off my knees. She's like, what are you doing? Get up. <laughs> so this means a different um, thing in my culture. Please get up off the ground. I don't know what. Yeah. Uh, but never said yes. So, well, I mean, I guess at some point she said yes, right? Yeah, right. She had to. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, cause, yeah. I was just thinking about as we as we get married as sealed in the temple. There's a yes, right? It's not an I do. So to say she didn't say yes, not completely true. So you guys get married there shortly after, and then and then what? Um, yeah, we got. So actually, we separated there from um, the Dominican Republic and met up a month later in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And for a week, we planned our wedding. We did a lot of decorations. It was just a little humble thing in her cousin's apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, went down to the courthouse, and there we stayed in a line full of just rooms and, and brides, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, waiting to basically go into a little cupboard, <laughs> is what it looked like, give and me, sign a paper. Give me an idea. What year are we talking about at this point? Uh, this was 2016. 2016. Uh, and, uh, at this point, are there, are the missionaries for the church still in Venezuela? They are gone at this point. No. Yeah. yeah they, I think that they left in uh, 2003. Okay. 
and and there's not there's not temples in Venezuela, but there are church congregations. There is a temple in oh, there is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But her family is not all LDS. The Jehovah's Witness. Uh huh. Um, it's just her mom and her brother and sister that are LDS. And so our plan was just to get married civilly so that her family could be a part of it. Sure. And when we got to the United States, we were going to get sealed so that my family could be a part of it. Oh, cool. Okay. So, uh, so that's that was the plan and it ended up happening. We just kind of had a little uh, hiccup in the middle there. What, that we weren't what, expecting. what could possibly happen? I mean, as you said, <laughs> you were waiting very patiently in line, waiting yeah. to go into a closet where you could get married by an essential justice of the peace. So then what happened? Uh, we got married, went back to the apartment, had a fun night. Um, and then a week later, uh, that's when I was woken up. Uh, and I was woken up by my wife at first, probably around four or five o'clock in the morning. And she had one of those looks on her face. One of those looks of she's just, she's scared out of her mind. And so I'm trying to come out of it. And she's, she's telling me, she says, Joshua, there's people outside cops and they're going into every apartment. And they're, they're looking for men. And I said, wait, 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 hold on, slow down. Like, police are good. We don't have to worry about it. They're nor- they're, when they're looking for people, you know, they're normally bad people that they're looking for. Right. And so I told her, you know, let's just kneel down. Let's say a prayer. And that's what we did. We so- knelt down, said a prayer, asked that uh, no harm come unto us. And we went back to bed. So at this point, you're thinking, all right, it's it may be someone in the area, someone is on the run, maybe it's something like this. No sort of suspicion that it was anything beyond that. Yeah, and, and the things that really threw up a little bit of red flags were hearing the people screaming, hearing kids and babies crying. Mm. Um, that's not normal, mm-hmm. but you know, I guess in my little own head and through the situation, I was trying to normalize it okay. and trying to think, you know, Maybe it's just they're upset that they're taking their husband away or they're upset that what's happened, that they found him or whatever. They were in a really good sleep and they're really mad that they got woken up. I mean, that would be enough for me, but but that wasn't the situation. (laughs) No. Um, So that's when I went back to sleep and um, they knocked on our door. My wife went and answered it. And this is probably an hour later. And uh, they just asked her, said, do you have any men in your apartment? She said, yes, my husband. Do you have anyone else? She said, myself and my two daughters. Can we come in? She said, of course, come in. So they come in, their guns pointing, going into every room, searching every room. And lastly, they come into our room. And that's where I'm hit over the foot with one of the AK-47s. I wake up and look at the gentleman. And there they have their AK-47s and a pistol just pointed right in my face. Hmm. And they said, who are you? I tell them what my name is. We show my passport. They wanted to know when I got there, why I got there, what I do for work, and when I was leaving. So that's what, you know, we told them all their stuff. They saw my visa. They saw that everything was good to go. They left. Let me ask and you this. this what, point, what what was the plan at that point? You said you'd been married a week prior. How long were you still to be there before you were leaving? We were just waiting on the embassy, Okay. really. Okay. Uh, we had already applied for their visas mm-hmm. in order to come to the United States. So we were just waiting for them basically to set up the appointment. Okay. Um, sadly, we only had to wait like another month before we got the appointment. But um, as you're going to hear from the story, we were taken that day. So we weren't allowed to make the appointment. Yeah. Now, now, <laughs> but, when, uh, now when you say taken, that to me is like, uh, as you've alluded to gunpoint, it's like, get up, get dressed, let's go. Is it is it that dramatic? Is it that forceful? 
Basically, it, it basically was. Um, they left, and we thought, you know, woof, that was a that was a big <sighs> thing that just happened. But we're lucky, yeah. right? So I go out and I look over just the center of all these apartment complexes where they have playground statues, and it's full of police officers running around shooting at people. And I think, man, this is crazy. I get my phone out and I start filming it because, of course, I mean, this is not something that's normal. Right. And I wanted to send it to my family. So I started filming it. I didn't know you couldn't film police officers down there. And so my wife kind of got a little nervous. So I put my phone down. Well, around that same time, they started knocking at the door again. Hmm. And my wife got even more nervous. She thought, hey, they saw your videos. Go hide your phone. They saw you filming them. And so I went and hid my phone, came back and sat on the couch. And she goes to the door. And as soon as she turns the doorknob, they just barge through. Hmm. They aren't even going to wait for it. Ugh. And so... They come in and it's not just two police officers this time. It's upwards of eight to 10 police officers. And they all come straight to me, circled right around me where I was sitting on the couch. And the first thing they said to me was, where's your suitcase? And I just kind of look at them like, where's my suitcase? What kind of question is that? Mm -hmm. you know? And the supervisor came, came forward and just said, hey, you know, don't worry about it. We uh, just need you to come with us. We want to make sure that you don't have any problems in Venezuela that you don't have any problems here uh, over there in the United States. And I thought, all right, I guess I can kind of understand that. That's reasonable, I mean, guys who came to my house in the middle of the night with AK-47s <laughs> who were shooting at people. Sure, you yeah. bet. I, I mean, what else are you going to do in this situation? You're trying right. to, you're trying not to freak out. Sure. That's the honest truth. Yeah. And I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I know it. But I'm trying to rationalize the situation in my head of, yeah, in the United States, we, we, we ask people for their ID so they can make sure that there's no warrants or anything out for mm -hmm. them. Um, I'm not 100%. I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge of the situation in Venezuela at the time and the way that the police and justice system worked in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. Now, I know what it's all like. And I never <laughs> Don't, spoil Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Well, and before I went, uh, my wife did tell me that, that there are dangerous spots in Venezuela. And in my mind, especially because I was in love and just wanted to get there and be with her, I was thinking, well, you know, there's places that are just like that in the United States where, mm -hmm. you know, you can't go in a certain time or you're going to get robbed or other things are going to happen to you. Right. And so she said, I'll take care of you. We don't have to worry about it. And that's what we did. We never went out at the wrong time. We were never in the wrong places at the wrong time. And we were safe. We never thought that being in our apartment, you know, at five in the morning, six in the morning, was the wrong place, but that, it ended up being the wrong place. So they gather, so, so they gather you gunpoint, whether it's AK-47 or pistols drawn, circle you around. Hey, do you have your essentially your papers? And we want to know who you are. Yeah. And then is it say goodbye to your wife and they take you, or do they take both of you at the same time? Uh, no, it was just you know, come with us. Okay, type of a thing. So I get dressed, uh, put pants on, take off my basketball shorts, everything. Yeah. Uh, go downstairs that, and that, uh, sorry to interrupt you again. That standard sleeping attire that uh, all <laughs> members of the church men do because we're like, geez, I gotta wear something. Okay, basketball yeah, shorts, right? perfect. That's fine. <laughs> that's a cover the garments, perfect. <laughs> so uh, that's when I change and I go down. And the, this is when things start getting really weird, Richie. I'd go down with this uh, with the officer, and when we pass other officers something weird would happen. The officer would look at me that was passing us 
and look at the other officer and just ask, who's he? And they'd always respond the same, he's the gringo. And the response, and every single time this happened, was always the same. They'd go, ah, okay. Like, like hey, dude, we, we know what's going on. Good job. Way to find him type of a thing. Mm. And so after, you know, two or three times of this happening, I started, you know, connecting one or two, like, okay, this is really bad. Something like this has happened. This is really bad. They did, put me in the back of a pickup truck. Did you want to stop him and be and like, no, 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 I'm not the gringo. No, no, no. You got me <laughs> wrong. I mean, I may be a gringo, but the gringo. No, that's, he's over. I'm not the gringo. Yeah. <laughs> um, they put me in the back of a pickup truck and I'm expecting them because we're Ciudad Caribia. That's where my wife was staying. Um, it's basically a bunch of apartments that were made from the government to give to people mm-hmm. because those people lost their houses through natural disasters. Essentially like subsidized I, housing. Basically. Yeah. Uh, my wife had a house that was on a mountain and it got washed away. And so they were given this free apartment. Oh my gosh. And so that's where she's been. Le- that's where she was living. So in order to get to the police station, you had to go down the mountain to get there. So I was expecting that. Well, instead of taking that right turn to go down the mountain, they took the left turn to go up the mountain. They they go all the way up to this building that's still under construction. And things really started to get interesting. People started saying racial things to me, saying bad things, just slapping me over the head. And then they took me out of the vehicle and put me up against the wall. And that's where they all circled around me and started to dry fire their weapons. Oh my gosh. I was thinking, okay, which one of these police officers actually has a, a bullet in their gun? That day I thought that I wasn't going to survive. Luckily, my wife, after I had left, started running around you know, the city trying to find where I was at. She was asking everyone if they'd seen, you know, the American mm-hmm. and found the, people said, Yeah, he's up there. The gringo. Oh, the yeah, gringo. gringo. We've seen him. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, My gringo. <laughs> my gringo. Yeah. So uh, she finds me with a bunch of friends and they just start screaming. We're, we're across this little valley area. So she's over here on this side and I'm over here on this side. And she's screaming over at them saying, I see you. What are you guys doing? They freak out because she's on the phone with the embassy. Uh-huh. And they put me in the back of the pickup truck again and they go to a different location. Now they're starting to get into gunfights with people. I don't know what's going on. All I know is I hear bullets flying and I had to get out of the pickup truck and right behind the wheel room. So, so are, right where the wheel is, they had me just hunched up right behind that. So are you constrained like handcuffs or like zip ties or anything like that? Or is it just like, no. hey, if you know what's good for you, stay in this wheel well, keep your head down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Basically. And, and the mountains there are pretty steep. So even if I wanted to try to make an escape with a lot of people around me with guns and I had nothing, uh, it would be pretty difficult yeah. to make an escape. Hmm. Um. From there, you know, it lasted for a while. Uh, I think from the point that they took me to the point that I actually finally arrived to the police station was somewhere between five to seven hours. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, it was it was a long time. Let me Got ask you. Let, let me ask you this before we get to the police station. Uh, I'll ask this question, then we'll take a break and come back in the second block. You mentioned that um, they're dry firing in your face. I can only imagine how freaky that is. Um, and that you, you said that you, you didn't think that you would live like this was it. What did your mind go to? I don't remember okay. to tell you the truth. Um, that kind of comes back to 
to the question that a lot of people always have is, do you have PTSD? Hmm. My answer is no. You know, I don't have PTSD. I don't freak out. I can sleep fine. But one thing that I have noticed is my memory is shot. Interesting. From basically the beginning of that time, even to before my mission, my mission is really hard for me to remember. Yeah. I remember people talking about their mission all the time, cool things. And I just kind of sit there and think, and I really don't remember a whole lot yeah. about my mission, high school, just weird things after high school. And uh, I found out that's kind of a form of, of PTSD where your brain and your mind tries to shut out all that negative stuff that happened to protect yourself. from it. Sure. I was just going to say, I, I mean, I know that memory loss can be uh, a demonstrated form of PTSD. I similarly can't remember anything of my mission because of PTSD. Really bad companions. Really bad. <laughs> Let's take a break. When we I'm come sure back. A lot of people are here to me. Exactly. When we come back in the second block of the cultural hall. Uh, Josh gets to the police station to be continued. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Time for the second block of the Cultural Hall. If you would like to be a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, it's simple. You just go to Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall and uh, you make a pledge. It helps financially support the Cultural Hall. Simple as that. It allows you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group where we have all sorts of discussions around the various things that happen in the cultural hall, and you get the opportunity to be able to see the videos of the interviews I do. Like you get to see Josh's cute face. You can see what Tammy saw in Josh's cute face, but only if you are a Patreon subscriber. So do it. Don't hesitate for crying out loud. I see you hesitating. Just do it. Patreon.com slash the cultural hall. Josh, so was it a nice police station? It was a weird police station. Let's talk about uh, it. It's actually the same. Oh man, how do I explain this? So, the location where I stayed for two years is called El Elicoye. And it was actually a big shopping mall. It was a big shopping mall that was built as in a drive through shopping mall. So, it's just you got one entrance and it circles all the way up the building. And then you go all the way back down and you can stop and get some stuff uh, wherever you want. Hmm. Well, through the construction, there was some different stuff that happened in the government and the construction ended up stopping. They basically had that place kind of just shut down. Nothing was happening for, you know, quite a few years. And one of the uh, government officials finally decided, hey, why not just put our police force in there? Hmm. So on the very top of that mall, uh, or what should have been a mall, is actually um, the national police. In the middle is a little tiny school, like an elementary school. And then the bottom level is the Sabine. Sabine is basically like your form of FBI slash CIA without the intelligent hmm. part of it. <laughs> I hope they I mean they say that it's intelligent. But... I hope they don't hear this. Oh geez. 
they'd confirm that I'm a that I'm a spy. Oh, you know, no. I was sent there to take him down. No. Right? <laughs> so so it's a pretty so, so all that to say it's a pretty significant building, right? If you've got the national police on the top and the essentially FBI on the bottom, I mean that that is a fairly secure, I would imagine, but also powerful uh, building. Uh, you would you would think that it would be secure, but um, it's it's not. Okay. It's, and that's just the way it is in Venezuela, the way they do their stuff. Um, it's it's uh, fairly easy to get into. Hmm. They don't really have a lot of barbed wire fences around. They have neighborhoods just surrounding right across the street. Hmm. Um, the only difference is, you know, the elevation. That's really the only difference. Um, so to continue the story, um, they basically took me to the police station. And this is when I really found out that I was in trouble, um, that they weren't just verifying stuff. I got in there and they had a police officer that spoke English and he just started telling me that I was a really bad person. He said, you've done all these really bad things. You're in, you're in big trouble. You're going to be here for a while. We need to know all this information about you. Tell us about your guns. Um, they had gotten my phone at that point. So they went to my Instagram, my Facebook, and they saw, Hey, this guy has some guns. Well, of course, you know, I, I live in Utah. I have a family that likes to hunt, likes to shoot. And I do my, my concealed weapon permit. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to bear arms. Mm-hmm. I don't walk around bearing arms, but you know, I'm a guy that likes to have guns. So you are a gun, uh, a that. gun user, a gun advocate, a, a yeah. exerciser of the second amendment for sure. <laughs> so, uh, they decided to use those pictures, videos, um, in, against me. Uh-huh. Uh, they said that they were all taken in Venezuela. They said that, uh, the videos of me shooting in the mountains in Utah, where somehow the mountains in Venezuela, even though it's completely different terrain, uh, vegetation, everything. There's like the Y on the mountain, and you're like, no, 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 that's <laughs> yeah, BYU right. for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Uh, so they uh, basically said that I was sent there to train people to take down the government of Maduro. Hmm. Now, the actual charges that they ended up putting on me was arms dealing. Hmm. which is completely different from, from being a spy. Uh, they also called me a military pilot. They also called me a, uh, a terrorist. They also called me, I mean, they called me like 10 different names. Mm-hmm. So it, it was hard to keep track their story of uh, what they wanted me to be. Basically, they wanted to use me to scare their people into thinking that, hey, we've been telling you for years that Americans are dangerous and they're out to get us. Mm-hmm. And here's proof. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all they wanted out of me. Um, now at this point, let's fat, let's, let's rewind just a second. When I was coming down the mountain, my wife, and, uh, I've had a lot of people, as you can hear this in uh, episode two of my podcast, which we'll talk all wife, about for sure. Yeah. My wife comes, uh, right into the middle of the street, just like this arms out, stops the car that I'm in, just completely stops it. And I'm thinking you crazy woman, what are you doing? <laughs> I love you, babe, but maybe not the time or the place. Yeah. Everyone loves my wife now. They say that she is the craziest, awesome woman that they've ever met. And uh, we're going to continue listening to why she is this way. But she stopped them. She said the, there was a, a girl police officer that was with us. She went out with a gun pointing at her. She says, what are you doing? And she said, you have my husband. She said, do you want to be with your husband? She says, yes, I want to be with my husband. So sure enough, she grabs her and throws her in the car with me. And I'm just looking at her like, why? <laughs> you know, not, not only do they have me, but now they have you. 
Well, they ended up getting a phone call and they ended up taking her back to her apartment. And this is when they interrogated her there saying, hey, listen, where's the suitcase? She walked her to the suitcase. They, she opened up the suitcase. There's nothing in the suitcase. She says, there it is. And they said, now get out of the room. Why? Because we need to do our job. Now get out of the room. So she says, okay. So she gets out of the room. She says, not within, not even a minute. They said, we found a grenade. We found a grenade. And from there, everything just went crazy. And she's thinking, what grenade? I just opened that up. So that's when uh, they took everyone out of the apartment to do their investigation. Mm -hmm. uh, they brought up a, a bunch of bullets. They brought up a big map with pinpoint locations of when I was planning to attack. They had uh, a fake gun, an AK-47 in there, uh, just a bunch of different stuff. So they, fra they, they framed the crap out of you. Oh, they tried. Uh, they, they, they definitely tried. Uh, that grenade that they actually put on me, uh, we found out that they put onto someone else a year later. Hmm. And that someone else ended up being one of my cellmates. Oh, wow. Funny enough. Wow. <laughs> so it shows you how much they do it. Yeah. Um, they ended up taking her from there to the police station. And this is after I'd been interrogated for a couple hours. And it was, once again, one of those faces where when she came through the door and I looked at her, she looked like she'd been crying. She scared out of her mind. And she just turned to me and she said, Joshua, they put an AK-47 and a grenade in our apartment. And they're saying that it's yours. And I was, I was mad. I threw my wallet down on the table. I, I said, this is bull crap. You guys can't be doing this. We're good people. And that's when I was handcuffed finally. Hmm. Uh, they took us into, uh, into a room. And that's when um, I was placed in the middle of the room, handcuffed to a chair. And there was probably about 30 people that were along the outside of this room. And this room was also a storage room. So it had a bunch of old chairs refrigerators, air conditioning units. It was just, it was a crazy room. Um, and that's when I, I saw the first, um, what would you want to call it? The first uh, visual of, of people being tortured. Oh. Uh, it was, it was, it was hard. It was hard to go through. It was hard to see. That is not where I listen. thought you were leading with that story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But, but it's not you. You're you're witnessing someone else being tortured. Yeah, they were they were being very abusive to to the people that were there. Mm. Uh, luckily, they weren't doing it to my wife because I wouldn't be able to take it, and right. they probably ended up shooting me because I would have taken the chair and just beating them over the head with it. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, after I was there for a while, they ended up taking my wife and I out uh, to take pictures in front of this table of all this stuff that they confiscated from us including my library card. They made sure to have a picture of that library card. I, I always tell that. It's funny to me. Well, like you, you wouldn't, cards you wouldn't believe the books, and they're very upset because somehow you were able to check out a reference book and you didn't bring it out, bring it back on time. So I, I, had, I definitely had some, uh, some, some overdue charges that I had to pay. Word to the wise kids, get those books back on time. Otherwise, you never know. Um, the, uh, the abuse, the... Um, the, the torture was that a, a frequent occasion um it it was pretty frequent especially at the beginning okay um after they took me down uh myself and my wife they processed us and then they put us in two different rooms and that's where they are they interrogated us for you know several days now the day that they took us was june 30th 2016 um, the day that they finally took us to the court, which is supposed to be within 24 hours, was July 4th. 
mm. my Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get my independence. Yeah. I can really you know, celebrate this I, holiday I the freedom. way that it's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to get a new, new fond understanding of what Independence Day really is. Right. Um, but for those couple days, they basically just went over the same thing over and over and over. How'd you meet her? Uh, what'd you guys talk about? Uh, what did you guys do in the Dominican Republic? When did you get here? What'd you do while you're here? When did you get married? Mm-hmm. Basically just the entire timeline. We had to go through four or five times. To me, they just asked me the questions, but to my wife, they were really jabbing at her. Um, they would do things to her to try to scare her into signing a paper. Mm-hmm. This is another reason why, you know, she's as cool as she is, is they basically threatened her life and her family's life. And they said, he is going against you and saying that all that stuff is actually yours. Hmm. You sign this paper. We'll forget about what he's saying and you can just go free. We'll put everything on him. And she just said, I know my husband and I know that all that is, is a lie. He's a good man and he wouldn't do that to me because none of that stuff's ours. I want to just, and, uh, I just want to bookmark that real quick because again, just to reiterate from the first <clears throat> part of the story, you guys hadn't known each other, but more than five months and a week at this point, right? If I've got yeah, timeline, well, it's right? been about six months. It's been about six months now. Yeah, but that's nothing at this point. But for, for her, <laughs> for her to know and be so sure of the love that you have for her and the the kind of person that you are and the integrity of who you are as an individual, that speaks a lot not only about her uh, having uh, faith in you and obviously you know a faith in God, but also. It, it speaks to the kind of person I think that you are as well, that she could have that sort of feeling about you. Well, yeah. And, and the other thing is when you date online, you get to know this person, not physically, but spiritually and mentally. Yeah. And that's exactly what our relationship was. It was based off of our values, who we said we were and our spirituality, the way we read together, the, the scriptures together, the way we prayed together at night, even though, you know, we're thousands of miles apart. We knew that these were the things that were important, mm. the things that we wanted to do. And so that was one thing that and, – and you also have to realize she saw me as as someone that was sent from God. Right. She prayed to God. She asked God for a man to come into her life that could bless her and her daughter's lives. And all of a sudden, here I was. I was a return missionary. And she's thinking, okay, God answered my prayers. That's a and lot, so of, she, that's a lot was, of pressure. Yeah. But, I mean – she has faith in God. She has faith in Jesus Christ. And she knew that, Hey, not only do I know this, this man, but I know that I had a prayer. I sent a prayer to God and he answered. Hmm. And so I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to follow and be faithful. And that's what she did. And luckily God sent her an angel. Hmm. When the people left the room, a person entered in the room and said, Hey, I just want you to know that he's not saying anything against you. Everything that you're saying, he's saying hmm. trust your, your own instincts and trust in him because you have the same story. And so, um, who, who was that individual? Because my, my, my mind wants to joke that it's one of the three Nephites, but I just don't know that that's appropriate. <laughs> I think we'd all like to like to yes! think that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but did, did she know who that person was or see that person again? Or did it just happen to be that, that one encounter? Um, I don't remember to tell you the truth. Interesting. I don't, I don't know if I even asked her that question. But uh, it was it was someone that was working there, obviously. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, they did a lot of things to her, and uh, as we say in the, in the podcast, your discretion is advised. You know, if you don't want to 
hear things that happened to her than you know mute it or pause sure, it or sure. fast forward it. But uh, she she was um, they ran tasers around her her face and her and her arms. Oh. Uh, they also put her fingers in pencil sharpeners, took her fingernails off. Oh. Um, just different different things that they they wanted to try just to get her to sign these papers. And Did they do similar things to you as they were questioning you about uh, the various things? Uh, they couldn't. And the reason they couldn't is because I was American. They knew. And from past and things that are actually happening now that I know of, huh. um, they just they won't torture Americans because they know it'll end out bad when it's out. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Which is kind of weird because if you can violate our human rights, what's the difference between violating our, our human rights and our due process to just torturing us anyways? Right. Like what's the, what's the main difference? Right. There's physical, there's a physical image that you can see. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just a, it's a, it's a next level up yeah. that will you know, say, you know what? Yeah. You can't t- torture these people. We're going to come after you type of thing. But hmm. you know, they're, they're definitely people that, that don't respect uh, a human being and a human life. Ugh. So she, so she's tortured and then still doesn't break, doesn't crack. True to who she knew she married. What next? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's when they took us to the to the court. Both and, of you, both of you together, yeah. or did you appear separate? Yeah, together. No, together. Okay. And of course, my uh, my stupid self. I'm thinking, okay, we're gonna go get our freedom now, and uh, <laughs> it's gonna be this is gonna be a crazy story to tell my family. Um, and as soon as I saw the judge, I knew that I was screwed. Mm. I knew hundred percent. It wasn't going to go my way. She gave me this look, this glare that just said it all. Mm. And, uh, that's when she sent us to a 45 days of investigation, which ended up being over a year and a half before I ended up seeing her again. Mm. Actually, I never saw her again because we got a new judge after like a year and then we didn't end up going and seeing that judge for another six months. Um, we had a lot of um, a lot of, uh, of dates. I'm trying to think of the words in English here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had a lot of, of times where it was scheduled to happen, but they would always defer it. And it would be just stupid things like she had a dentist appointment or the prosecutor didn't show up. So since the prosecutor didn't show up, they couldn't do the trial. It's like, well, normally if the prosecutor doesn't show up, the the, you know, the, the trial still happens. And if there's no prosecutor, then I guess there's nothing against you. Right. That's what a normal you know, court would do. So, but, so, the, uh, so they send you away after this initial court appearance for 45 days, which ended up being more, where did they send you away to? Like you, you go, you go before the court and the judge says, yeah, we're going to investigate into this. And then is it like, take them away. And then were you yeah, with your wife great. and where did you go? No, we were separated. Oh. Uh, we were taken back to the Sabine. Where we stayed for the next two years. Oh my gosh. Uh, Separate for I two was, years? Yep. I mean, I was able to see her. So for the first month, I wasn't really able to see her very much. Um, and then I was able to start dating myself finally. And I would actually be able to see her for a minute every day because I had to go to her cell to pick up two two liter bottles of water. Hmm. And that's what I used to bathe myself with. I just throw a little bit over my body, lather myself up, and then whatever was left is what I'd use to, to rinse myself off. With. Mm. And then I'd go back to her cell, return them and then leave. And so between the two encounters, it was about a minute, minute and a half. And, uh, my cell at that time for the first month was no bigger than a twin size bed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, full of cockroaches, Ooh. flies. There I was just lying in my underwear 
um, as these little you know creatures are just crawling over your body. You've got no toilet. Uh, you've got two options. You got a newspaper or you had a bottle, uh, just a little bottle in the corner. Oh. So I was literally treated just like a dog. It was a caged animal. They put uh, the big black garbage bag sacks over the bar doors. So no airflow is coming in. Oh. And they had two really big lights um, on the ceiling that were on 24 hmm. seven. And, so, and is the hope with that to break you down, to get you to, to admit what they want you to admit? Is it, is it punitive for punitive sake or, or is it just what they had and, and luck of the draw? That's the, the place that you were sent to go. Um, that's what they do with everyone that's, that's there. They, oh. their breaking process, try to break them in, uh, make them feel humiliated, make them basically just hate their lives. Huh. And that's what they did to me. Is your wife um, in a similar setup? No, my wife is with, uh, she was in the same cell her her entire two years. Um, in this Sabine, there are a bunch of cells for men, but there was one really big cell just for women. And so she had to live with 34, between 30 to 35 women at a time hmm. in this, you know, it, I mean, it wasn't a very big, it was two rooms and they weren't very big. They had bunk beds stacked next to each other and they were all full and women sleeping on the floor and two bathrooms for all these women's and we know men how long your wife needs in the bathroom. So if you think that, <laughs> if you think that a quick 10 minute trip to the bathroom's good enough, it, it wasn't. And boo, there were, like, a lot of <laughs> That's funny though. Um, so she's able to stay in, in the same place, but you get sort of carted around different, different experience in the two years that you're there. Yeah. What it what, was uh, definitely different. What, uh, I want to ask a question, then we're going to take another break. Um, your wife left to come and stop the car in the middle of the road. There are two kids. Who's watching the kids? <laughs> so luckily her mom. Okay. Um, it was, it was lived like just right there. Okay. So as soon as I was taken, she called her mom. Her mom came immediately over and took the kids. Okay. Okay. Um, the oldest daughter, her dad's still alive. Okay. And so he ended up taking her after... Um, after about six months, he ended up just taking her uh -huh. and separated our two daughters. So now our entire family is just separated. Oh. We got me and my wife that are separated. Then you have Marion and Natalia, which are our daughters' names, uh, and they're separated as well. How, so, how old are they at this time? Uh, at this time, Marion was seven, mm -hmm. almost eight, and Natalia just turned five. Right. So pretty young and, and maybe still pretty resilient, but my gosh. Hey, everyone, yeah. you know, one night it's going to lead our entire family to be separated to four very distinct and different places. Let's put a pause right there. Um, and uh, when we come back in the third block of the cultural hall, it may be a long third blo block or there may be an addendum. We may do a, a part two that's some additional stuff with all this because I know still we still got a lot of story to get to. We will do that coming back in the third block of the cultural hall. Hey, it's me, Richie T, and I want to talk to you about uh, Kimura Tours. Won't you join me on a church history tour? I would love to be your travel companion. Technically, it will be my wife, but you could be on the bus with us. This is part of our 2021. Yes, we're already talking about something like that uh, for next summer. It was uh, supposed to be this summer. In fact, it was supposed to be like a couple weeks from now. It's not. It has been postponed into 2021 so that church sites will be open. We'll be able to see the Hill Kimura in its final pageantry year 
here and also be able to see Nauvoo as well. Would love for you to come with us. These seats are filling up fast, so please do not put it off. Uh, make sure you go to KamoraTours.org. Kamora, just like it sounds, or like the hill which we talk about in the church, tours just like it sounds, uh, only T-O-U-R-S. It's not tours, like we say here in Utah anyway. Uh, KamoraTours.org, join us uh, and make sure you look for the Cultural Hall banner. We're going, of course, with the folks from Leading Saints, Kurt and the kids. Uh, they'll be along with us as well, so make sure that you click on that tour, that you go on those dates uh, that way we can all be on the bus together. The website is KimuraTours.org. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. One with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, we've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now, because at PC Laptops, we're here for you, and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, you love this episode, you love the stories that we tell, the interviews that we have, the articles of news that we share every week here on the Cultural Hall. Well, you can thank us. The way you can do that is you could send us an email, for crying out loud. You know the electronic mail. Contact at theculturalhall.com. That is the address. You could find us on social media and share this episode. That's a great way to let us know that you like it. Uh, you can also leave us a review wherever it is that you get this episode of the Cultural Hall. There's an opportunity for you to review it there. Say, oh, this was so great. Josh certainly is so handsome. Tammy was so right. I love everything about this episode. I don't care what you say just so long as there's five stars attached to it. If you're inclined to do something with one star, keep that to yourself. We don't need it. The world has enough hate. Just keep that to yourself, pal. Just give us a review, though, wherever you're listening to this. Josh, I just realized I didn't tell everybody about your podcast. Tell people where they can get it, where they can leave reviews, where they can just binge your entire story. Where can they get that? Um, you can listen to my podcast on any podcasting app. Mm -hmm. Um just search Hope and Darkness and it'll pull up. We are releasing an episode a week. You can search up on any app, Hope and Darkness, and there you can search up all the episodes that have been released. Um, where there's a total of 12 episodes. So if they're not all there yet, you know, we'll re release them every single Wednesday. If you want to listen to the entire podcast, binge listen to it, you can go to wonderyplus.com slash hope. And there you can do a $5 subscription just to uh, listen to the entire podcast ad-free. Or you can go to kslradio.com, and uh, there's where you can also search Hope and Darkness, and you'll find the podcast there as well. An amazing producer working on that. I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to Becky Bruce, who just is phenomenal. She does such great work. Uh, an amazing podcast network uh, that KSL does. We had uh, Dave Colley with The Cold Podcast on. Uh, that was sort of their podcast of yesteryear. This is the new one. Move over, The Cold Podcast. Hope in Darkness with Josh Holt. Now, Josh, when did you tell your mom 
there's some element of like family at home hearing about this that we haven't mentioned. We've certainly mentioned the uh, the strife, the the um, the hardness of the way that you and your wife are experiencing. But there's also a whole lot of people back here in the states, your family certainly, but everyone else who's going. What 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 is going on with this Josh Holt guy down in Venezuela? <laughs> when did she hear, and what was that response? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's hard to tell this entire story in in just you know an hour. I mean, it's right. only been forty five minutes, and we're just you know touching the the top of the the tip of the, of the ice iceberg. Cream right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I of course I didn't have a phone, and obviously they didn't allow me to uh, make a phone call. No, <laughs> I did sign a paper. I no, but I did sign a paper saying I was allowed to. Oh, I just wasn't allowed to. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but sure. No, it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's absolutely allowed to. Yeah, no, you no, you can't actually do that, Josh. No, no. So if you can't call, so, how does uh, she hear? Tammy's mom sent her a message, and uh, this is a person that only speaks Spanish sending a message to the person that only speaks English. Uh. So her message was Josh Gel nine one one, and my wife, my my mom at this time is like, what? Josh Gel nine one one, and so. Then she sends another message in Spanish, and since I have a lot of friends that serve missions as well, Spanish speaking, she immediately calls them over. Uh-huh. And so they come over and they say they said they just put in jail, and my dad's like, whatever, you know, this is this is, can't be true. So they went online, they started searching my no- name up with Venezuela, and that's where they just saw a picture of my wife and I uh, behind this table with all this different stuff over the table. Mm. They saw my, my passport, they saw my money, my driver's license, all the different stuff. And so that's when my mom, of course, started to freak out. Like, sure. oh my gosh, sure. what are we gonna do? What a way to find that out, right? I mean, you get yes, the message yeah. and there's probably something where it's like, maybe this is lost in translation, or are you much of a kidder? Would you <laughs> ever be a practical joker that would do something? Not, not to that level. Yeah, maybe not, not that, that level, but. But not even a joker necessarily to the point that. I mean, my, my friends and I definitely played a lot of jokes with my mom, but sure. you want to be the one where I send a message like, hey, just go with this, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just say yes. If my mom asks, totally. Yeah. But but certainly nothing of that level. So she then obviously sees this, uh, whether it has to be translated to her or she's able to read it in English, goes, oh, crap. This is this is not good. So. so yeah. So what, what then is her reaction? Then we'll jump back to where you are uh, in Venezuela. Um, her immediate reaction was, who do I need to get hold of to figure this situation out? Mm-hmm. Um, and through the process, and, and you'll hear, once again, referring back to my podcast, sure. Open Darkness, you're going to hear the entire story of her, what she had to do, uh, my wife's story, my story, and then the, the situation in Venezuela and their story. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this, this story has a whole lot of different sides to it, and sure. we wanted to cover every single side. Sure. Um, my mom eventually uh, got a hold of the State Department, Senator Hatch, Mia Love. Um, they're all representatives and senators here in you know, Utah. Uh, this, the State Department was really helpful in Washington. Um, they, she was in contact with them quite a bit. Um, and then from there, it was just those contacts and – TV interviews, news interviews, different, different stuff that really just got our story out there to the point to where, you know, one day she's going to the White House to look at the White House and meeting with people in Washington, D.C. 
it it really has been credited um a lot to your mom that you maybe wouldn't have made it out or certainly wouldn't have made it out as soon as you did without all that she did to make sure it well, was definitely. was top of mind etc I mean, without her putting the effort that she did, uh, there's no way that Senator Hatch would have gotten invested into our situation as much as he did. And if Senator Hatch didn't get invested into it as much as he did, he wouldn't have found the proper people like Caleb McCary to basically help us get our freedom. Hmm. We would have been in there for, you know, who knows how long. Maybe, maybe Richie, we would still be there and I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Yeah, I mean, very, very well could be. I mean, there's probably um, a line, a whole hour plus that we could do to talk about, you know, just your mom, your mom's involvement and, and, and everything as far as that goes. It's um, it is a, a modern day mama bear uh, that I just I remember as we shared here in the cultural hall, we do articles of news once a week where on Monday we talk about anything that's in the news. And I remember when this first broke, I probably owe you an apology, Josh, if I'm being serious. Uh oh where I was like, okay, they don't just come into the, uh, you know, the room in the middle of the night and take someone away. So I'm not sure what this Josh Holt (laughs) did, but probably was doing something that he shouldn't have. And, you know, sort of all this kind of stuff. And, and, and then that's what everyone said. Yeah. And and then a year later, it's like, yeah, old, you know, old gun runner Holt, you know, like I, 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 I think, and I'm not going to go back and I ask you not to go back and listen as well. I think that my friend, yeah. we're ending this recording right now. Interview <laughs> over. No, but, but it was a thing where I just was like, this is such an outlandish story that your mom pleading to the state department that senators and representatives and, you know, uh, the embassy and all these people involved couldn't seem to break you out of Venezuela like it just seemed it seemed it seemed too far-fetched it seemed too fantastical yeah. and and you sit across from me to to let me know y- yeah no th- this this was in fact very much of a reality um you were there how how long exactly was it that you were there from the time they came to uh, take you out of bed middle of the night to when you touched back on American soil how long was that uh, 23 months and 10 days. Okay. 23 months and 10 days that, that liberation. That's a rough estimate. That's yeah, a rough yeah, estimate. Yeah. No, I'm holding it to it. <laughs> uh, that liberation, that independence, what, what does that final freeing moment feel like? How does it come about? Is it, Hey, blocky nine, seven, five, two, three, you're out. And you go, wait, what <laughs> now today of all the things, what does that look like? Well, um, to be honest, um, it was kind of weird because the entire time that we were there, uh, the type of mental torture that they would do towards me would be, hey, get your stuff. You're getting free. And I can't tell you how many times I gathered all my stuff, excited as can be, like, no way this is finally happening. And then they come by just laughing at me, uh. telling me, you think you're going to get freed? You're going to be here the rest of your life type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I found out that, hey, you might be getting your freedom again, I was like, yeah, okay, you know, same story, same story. Like, okay, tell me what you want me to do this time. Right. And uh, they're like, no, like seriously. Uh, the head war, the the head uh, warden wants to talk to you. Hmm. And so I was like, it's a warden, isn't it? Yeah, warden is right. Yeah, it's a warden. Yeah. Yeah, way to go, English uh, speaker. You got it. 
<laughs> I, I'm telling you what, the Spanish, because a lot of the stuff that happened over there, I mean, it's all Spanish. Sure, sure. Like court cases, um, the, the names that they call people. And so it's completely different here. If I was to, to tell you, so the name of what they actually call the warden there is, is actually translated over to as sheriff. Okay, okay. And so just for the, saying, just so for the, the sheriff, just for the sake of uh, language lesson, what's the word? Comisario. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That one. There. Yeah. Now we all, now we all learned something from in Spanish today. <laughs> so he says, Hey, you're going to come see me. And, uh, so we said, all right, but they wanted us to make sure that we were nice and bathed first. So us meaning you, got... you and your wife, like go fetch your wife. Let's get you to the Comisario's yeah. office. Well, and, and this is because my wife and I are actually living together now. Oh. So five days before this happened, there was a huge riot. Mm. Uh, that riot would take me like an hour just to tell everything. So you have to listen to my that in my podcast. So after that whole riot thing happened, they basically took my wife and I and moved us completely to a different location. Mm. Uh, it was still there, but the Sabine has different levels within the prison, of course. And so they took us to basically what would be an office room. Hmm. And there we kind of just stayed, slept together in front of two um, detectives. That's what they call them. They took just normal guards. Hmm. And they just sat there and were with us 24-7. And so they took us down to a place where we could shower. You know, she went to women's restroom, men's restroom. Uh, we got all ready. And then we waited for him basically to say, yeah, bring them in. Hmm. So then we went in and, and he said, Basically the same thing to me. Uh, you've got a really good chance of being free tomorrow. And I told him the same thing I told you. Yeah, I've heard that a plenty of times. Right. And he basically just said to me, have I ever told you that? And I said, well, no, you never told me that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'm telling you, there's a really good chance you're being freed. And so my wife and I, you know, Tammy was just excited. And, you know, we didn't know what to think at this point. You know, we had already put in our minds we're going to be here for minimum 30 years. Hmm. So we were trying to learn to, to love our life and figure out how to live with happiness in our own lives. Wow. Just, just as what president Uchtdorf says, us as members, we have to learn to make ourselves happy in any situation that we go through. Mm-hmm. I, I, I listened, not, sorry, I didn't listen. I read that in the enzyme while I was laying in bed in prison. And, uh, when I went to conference right after I got back, I actually was able to shake his hand and, and talk to him just for a slight second. And I told him that story. And I said, you know, I, I laid in my bed and I, I read that article that you had, that you talked about us as members. Uh, we have to learn to make ourselves happy in any situation. And I thought to myself, you know, President Newdorf, why don't you come and sit in this bed? And you tell me to be happy. You tell me it's like, and he, he laughed. He did. He laughed. And, and uh, I didn't, it took me a while to learn the wisdom behind that comment huh. because it's a hundred percent true. Richie it is a hundred percent true. doesn't matter what situation we're going through. We can make ourselves happy. Hmm. We have the full gospel in our lives. We have people that love us. We have people that support us and we have Jesus Christ who, as we know, is always there for us. Hmm. And when we're able to get over our own pride and able to get on our knees ask the Lord for help and say, you know what? I can't do this anymore. That's when that burden is going to be lifted. And that's what eventually, that's what eventually happened to me. You know, I, I had to get as low as I've ever been and, and hope I will ever be in my entire life. 
But I was able to pick myself up with the Spirit, with the Holy Ghost, with the love of God. And, you know, this is kind of a, a off the side subject of, of where we were going, but, you know, it's the honest truth. Yeah. Uh, and now, as we're as we're sitting there in front of this comisario, <laughs> and he's telling us, you know, tomorrow you're going to be freed. Make sure you only have one bag. I, I just looked at him and I said, one bag. I will leave everything right now, <laughs> and we can we can walk to the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't care for any of it. <laughs> well, I got to bring this it's termite. Probably. He's been a great friend, and this cockroach or cucaracha. <laughs> I know that one. Uh, yeah, with me. There you go. Let me let me let me ask you a couple, a couple pickup things. I remember uh, at some point in this, and and I'm just blunt, so I'll say it. You looked real terrible. You got sick, pretty sickly while you were there. Was it was it something lasting or just the treatment that you received there? And I'm sorry for the bluntness of that, but I just remember uh, one time reporting the story that I saw this picture where you did not look good at all. Yeah, I had uh, a handful of of different things happen to me while I was there. Actually, the first week that I was there, I had a kidney stone that took me oh. a week and a half to pass. Of all say. the times. Right? In the first week, too. Yeah. Not like, it, not like it was hard enough to try to get used to the, the whole situation. Right, right. Um, I also had scabies while I was there, bronchitis, a hemorrhoid. Um, I had a tooth, this one right here, oh. chipped halfway um, while I was in there, and it took about a year to get super infected to the point where I had a pocket of pus that would drain two to three times a day. Mm. Um, they ended up drilling it out without anesthesia. They just <sighs> it out, filled it with cement right onto the nerve. And so it made it even worse. And that kind of migrated its way up to my brain in a way. It, it got an ear infection from it. It was, it was painful. And they, they just don't give you medicine. They don't help you mm. at all. Mm. Um, I also hurt my back by falling off of a, a third high bed. So there's a bunk bed and there's there's three tri bunk beds, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. I fell off from that onto the floor. And then uh, I also had a stomach issue, which we think was a parasite. Oh wow! And that gave me uh, diarrhea for about seven days. I was throwing up the entire time, and I was by myself at that time, and so there was no one there to really make sure I was staying hydrated and and eating and so i got to the point where i almost basically just passed out and they had to come in and, and actually call the paramedics and get fluids into me mm. was there ever a point that you i mean you talk about the unique experience where you're able to read the ensign article from uh elder uchtdorf then probably president uchtdorf um that uh that you were like oh yeah god fine you turn your back on me i turn my back on you was there ever a, a doubter's moment or a an angered at God feeling for the first six months, my wife and I prayed morning and night, read our scriptures every single day, fasted every single Sunday. And those, those moments that you're talking about popped in my head. I can't tell you how many times. And since I was a term missionary, I kept, I kept blocking them. I kept saying, you know what? This isn't God's fault. He didn't do this. We have something that we like to call, the freedom to choose, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that ability that God gave us, sometimes the way we act reflects upon other people. Mm-hmm. The way we act as parents reflect upon our children. Sure. The way uh, you know government officials act in, in our government 
that reflects upon how our lives are. You know, that's the same thing that happened with these people. They chose things that were bad and that affected me negatively. And so I kept putting that in my mind. But eventually after a year, I got to the point to where, you know, I was like, you know, God, I've, I've done my duty. I felt like I've, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've asked for your help. I served my mission. I did, you know, I started going through this list of like, <laughs> I did this and this and this, right? There's my pride, right? My pride's come up because what does Satan do? He gets into our lives. He gets into our minds and baby steps. He works us down the path to where he's at. And that's what he had done. And I finally got to that path where I had gotten where he was. And I got to the point where suicide was a real option. Hmm. And I remember telling that to my family, hmm. you know, after a year I had ended up acquiring a cell phone. And I, and I said that my whole family was on the phone and I told them that I was going to commit suicide that night. And I loved them and I couldn't do it anymore. Then my brother grabbed the phone and he said, you are not going to do that. Hmm. I promised you I was going to come to the airport to pick you up. And I refused to pick you up in a cardboard box. Hmm. You have a family down there. You have to live for your wife. You're not going to just leave your wife in prison. And, and it was these types of comments that woke me up. And I, I sat there and I thought, whoa, Joshua, you know, what are you doing? This isn't the person that you are. You stop praying. You stop reading your scriptures. You stop being positive. You got to get a control of your mind. And it took me a while, Richie. I'm not going to lie. It's not like as soon as I thought of that right. and had of oh hey yeah I'm a, holy cow you know I'm, I'm i'm clear down here it's not like the next day i was just happy as can be it, it took a while hmm. and i think that's important for you know all the people that are listening and for ourselves to realize is maybe we're going to get to that point in our lives but we can't give up on ourselves or we can't give up on other people that have gotten to that point because someday we need that help mm-hmm. and someday god's going to be there for well every day he's there for us right All right, we are going to put a pause right there. That's it. Sorry, no cliffhanger, no whatever, right? I'm not a to be continued, although it will be to be continued. We are just going to hard stop it right there. He's still in (laughs) Venezuela at this point. The guy said, you're getting out tomorrow. Stop. That's the end of this episode. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. If you are not healthy enough to listen this week, we hope that you will be healthy enough to listen next week and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. I look forward to being able to talk to you in the future. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat.